With Halloween just around the corner, my family has plenty of tricks and treats planned. But thanks to Pampers, one thing I have never been afraid of is a leaky diaper. Fear no leaks with new and improved Pampers Swaddlers, now featuring a blowout barrier at the back waist that helps prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. We've always looked forward to getting the girls dressed up for Halloween when they were babies. And with Pampers, we knew that in addition to being absolutely adorable in their costumes, they would be dry, clean, and comfortable. With Swaddlers, you can rest assured that you have superior leak protection while keeping baby skin healthy. Pampers Breathe-Free Liner wicks away wetness, allowing baby skin to breathe, while the lock-away channels help keep baby skin dry and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologists approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Pampers Swaddlers are available in sizes newborn to size 8 and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you, thank you, thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you. So often I talk with Latinas who are ready to make a pivot in their careers, but they see it as a clear end and a clear beginning. It's why I'm fascinated by the fluidity of Ambassador Julissa Reynoso's trajectory from big law to the State Department, to her first ambassadorship at just 36 years old, back to a law firm, then to the White House as Chief of Staff to First Lady Dr. Jill Biden, and now as the U.S. Ambassador to Spain. Julissa has moved back and forth seamlessly through worlds, which makes sense. She's been doing that since she was a seven-year-old kid who moved from the Dominican Republic to the Bronx. Julissa is an expert at learning unspoken rules. Now she's using those skills in the service of this country at a time when the stakes could not be higher. We talk about how showing up over and over changed the course of her professional life, the big lesson she learned from Dr. Biden, and how a natural-born judge learns to be a diplomat. Julissa, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you, Alicia, for inviting me and uh, having me be part of this dialogue. You're born in the DR. Your parents actually come to New York before you do. And then your mom petitions for you. Correct, yes. What is your earliest memory of the United States? Oof. Well, technically, being at the consulate in uh, Santo Domingo, trying to get the visa to get to travel to the United States for the first time, I was, I think, about six years old when I was sitting there, standing there, I guess. I grew up in a very rural part of the Dominican Republic in the mountains. We did not have access to running water or uh, electricity. My first experience in school was in this village school where we were all in one big room, irrespective of age. (laughs) So, you know... It was very different in the in the Bronx. When I got there, I was about seven. 
the, you know, the heart of urban life in America in the early 80s, where you had a lot of tough things going on in the country, and a lot of those tough things were being were manifested in their rawest form in New York City during that time. So it was a, a, a world of extremes. Were you the diplomat in your family? I think it was more the judge. <laughs> I was more the lawyer. I was always, you know, defending a case. I'm still the lawyer. Uh, I don't know how much of a diplomat I, I am, but I definitely always, since I, I can remember, I have had the lawyer head. And as a kid, I was always uh, making a case or defending a cause or uh, fighting some powerful thing or person. You went to Harvard a few years before I did, but I think it's fair to say that students like you are pretty anomalous. I mean, first-gen kids who grew up in an urban center and find themselves at that type of institution who are given that opportunity. There's the workload of college, and then there are the social norms of a predominantly white institution. You had to learn, as you put it, how to navigate relationships that had different codes of conduct. Can you give me an example? Because I, I was an immigrant, I am an immigrant, you know, once an immigrant, always an immigrant. You, you're new uh, from the beginning. You're like brought to a different city. You got to figure out the codes of the United States, the, the community in the Bronx, uh, the, the things that were there before you showed up, even a different language. So going to Harvard, there were also codes that I had to sort out that were new to me. So my trajectory as an immigrant and as a new kid in New York City were things I learned early that I, I think there were skills that have helped me along the way, including as a new student at Harvard and beyond. You have what I think is going to be a, a pretty familiar trajectory to a lot of our listeners, which is you graduate from college, you graduate from law school, you work at big law firms, and then you have a moment that to me seems to happen to pretty much every lawyer I know where they ask, is this what I want to do for the rest of my life? And one of the things that I find fascinating about your career, Julissa, is that you have been able to move between private practice and the public sector. Can you take me back to how you navigated that first move out of the law firm and into government work? So the private sector has been a an interest that I've acquired through my older, as an adult. It was not something I thought I would do or enjoy until I actually did it. <laughs> you know, you go into law school or whatever as a young person thinking, okay, I, I really, when I grow up, I want to be, I was going to, I wanted to be a professor. I want to be a teacher, but I needed the money. I needed to pay off some debt and I wanted to make sure at least I wasn't going to be a burden to my family. I want to have some savings. So I said, let me go work at a law firm and then I'll do what I really want to do. But then I got to the law firm and uh, you know, it's at the beginning, I was just like, what is this? But uh, I met very good people who are friends today and who I uh, admire for their intellectual and professional rigor. So they really uh, inspired me to enjoy the work. So beyond being in the private sector, I really enjoyed the practice of law. I enjoyed handling complex problems, be that in the legal profession or policy or whatever, and surrounding myself with very smart people. I was uh, always volunteering with community organizations uptown in Manhattan and in the Bronx. I always had these relationships with folks that were trying to make the city better, New York City, that is, better. 
immigrant rights, education reform, labor rights. I was, you know, my weekends were always full of activity. And so I made these relationships. I met politicians through my volunteer work. I met people like Secretary, then Senator Clinton. And I forged these friendships. Uh, I mean, they weren't friendships automatically. They were, I I kept showing up. You got to show up to things and making sure that you're giving whatever you, you can, your time, your your energy, if you can make some, obviously, uh, economic contributions, great. But I was not, I was mostly volunteering, knock door knocking. And when she became a uh, candidate for the White House in 2007, really, every extra day I had, I went out and took a bus to Philadelphia or plane to Iowa. I kept showing up and volunteering my time and whatever else I had to her and to her campaign. When my babies were going through their exploration stage, I had so much to worry about. Falling over, bumping heads, what did she just put in her mouth? The list was endless. But when they were in pamper swaddlers, I knew I never had to worry about a leaky diaper. Swaddlers are great for both baby and mommy. They keep your baby's skin healthy and dry with Pampers Breathe-Free Liner, which wicks away wetness, allowing your baby's skin to breathe. Swaddlers have always given me peace of mind knowing that diaper rash and leaky diapers were not in our future. There's also the blowout barrier at the back waist to help prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. Pamper Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic and free of parabens and latex. Your baby deserves that. And they're available in a wide range of sizes from newborn to size eight, and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. Having a diaper you can depend on is important, and it's why I have always loved Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today to start earning rewards with every diapers and wipes purchase. Not to mention, get great parenting content with Pampers Club. Hey, Red, what are you up to? Just making sure all the M&M's gifts are wrapped and the balls filled. Remember that one holiday party when we had no M&M's? Oh boy, I still have nightmares. The cookies? Yeah, you used all the M&M's candies that were meant to decorate the party treats to decorate snowmen. You did it again, didn't you? (laughs) They do look cute, though. Bringing cheer. M&M's for all fun kind. You end up at the State Department. She invites you to come work at the State Department. There's no manual for that. I mean, there actually are people who go to school to study this, but for someone like you who's making that transition from law, you're really learning on the job. Were there mistakes that you can tell us about? Because I understand yeah. it's the State Department, but do you remember making a mistake where you were like, okay, this is this is the learning curve, as uncomfortable as it is? Well, so huh, mistakes are, all, you know, always the issue is you have cushion. Do you create enough support around you to make sure that others can help you either fix it or ensure that you don't do it again? As a new kid in, in the State Department, well, I was shocked that I got a job at the State Department, but that's where the secretary Clinton ended up. I mean, she lost the election. So I thought I was just going to be at the law firm for forever or a longer time. But Thankfully, the president, President Obama, named her and I got to work with her. It was a leap of faith, I guess, right? She's like, come over, help me with things in Latin America. And I said, "Uh, okay. So I quit my day job without really knowing what the job was going to be at the State Department. Frankly, I kind of just left the firm. I left the firm and I left it nicely. I mean, the firm people were thrilled for me and I had a 
good family at the firm that were like, call us when you're done or whatever. So that was good to know that I, you know, if anything went terrible, I, I still could do something with my life as a private lawyer. There were a handful of women who, I think almost exclusively women around Secretary Clinton, who were really thoughtful and cared for my success. And when I did make mistakes, I gained and have so much trust and respect for the career people at the in government, in the State Department in particular, that I was like, you know, help me out, you know, show me the way. <laughs> you know, how do I, what is this? What is this acronym? Half of the things at the beginning were acronyms. I didn't know what they were. Or why are we doing this? You know, explain to me why is our policy this way? How can we do this better? With hopefully, you know, humility and also an open mind. And also in, in certain instances, a critical mind, because part of the job is to be new. Work with an organization that predates all of us and does things sometimes that could be better. So I, I needed to make sure to be open, humble, but also critical. At the tender age of 36, you're then offered to become the ambassador to Uruguay. And your initial response is, I am too young. This is too big of a responsibility. Like, you must be out of your minds. Yeah. But you clearly turn a corner on that. <laughs> you take the position. And that that's another leap. Well, again, Secretary Clinton and Cheryl Mills trusted me to do the job. I It was nerve-wracking because I, I didn't have the experience of working in an embassy. I had been at the State Department for... I want to say almost three years, two and a half years, helping to run a bureau with colleagues who had a lot more experience. But I took the offer. I ran with it. It was one of the best things that ever happened to me. Again, like anything else, you you make mistakes. But because the system, uh, the State Department and all the other agencies in these embassies are so professional, they help you deal with all types of complications that come your way. Like what? What are the complications? Oh my goodness, ay, ay, ay. You get all types of things from personnel issues, like people, you know, it's an organization. So of course you're gonna have folks who, most people do great job. Other people you're like, how do we get this person to do something else with themselves? You know what I mean? Like from that to dealing with local government people, you know, some people like us, some people don't. <laughs> and how do you get the people who don't like us to at minimum respect us, right? Or not work against us. These are, I mean, it's not mistakes per se, but these are things that are not necessarily in the handbook somewhere that you can read. How do I get the minister of so-and-so to like me? One, do-do-do, two, do-do-do. Uh, no, you have to cultivate, you have to engage, you have to sometimes acknowledge that you don't have all the answers. And that goes a long way as an American diplomat in the world, often. We are so important everywhere. I think a lot of Americans domestically don't, don't get that as much as I think some of us who are working overseas. And showing some level of deference and humility. The return on that investment of time and energy and uh, a show of just a sense of deference is tremendous. You go back to private practice, which I mean, was that was that strange after like having essentially been the CEO, the executive director of a small enterprise? Was the transition back to the law firm hard? I mean, first of all, I was just ha I was happy to be back in New York. That's my city. So I miss my friends. I miss my family. I miss this, you know, the New York thing. People just kind of not knowing who I am, which is also, frankly, good. The anonymity of New York is the best. Yeah. Going back to New York, I was just a nobody in the subway, which I loved. 
And the work at the law firm was an adjustment because I hadn't done it in years. I was, I was out for like five years and change. I was afraid that I was um, no longer knew what, you know, what I was doing. There are certain technical matters of litigating that I had to get help from other folks. But there were things and practices from diplomacy and just being out there in the world of foreign policy that actually helped me, I believe, become a better lawyer and, and a better counselor, a better advisor to clients and helped me tremendously in getting work and getting good results for, for people that I represented and companies that I represented. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. Oh, yeah. President Biden heads to the White House, and you are offered to be First Lady Dr. Jill Biden's chief of staff. Can you give us a sense of the type of decisions that a chief of staff has to make and how you went about making those decisions? Well, the first business of being a chief of staff, especially when you're beginning in government, um, is hiring is getting the team together. We started working before the president got sworn in. Right. What is called the transition for folks who've never worked on it. Correct. And I was blessed to have a fantastic team already in place because they a lot of the Biden family, the Biden transition, the Biden campaign operation, they were fantastic. And so they were already, a lot of the folks were already in the mix. So it was a matter of working with what we had, but also bringing in new people to create a team for the White House that could support the president and the first lady. And a lot of it depended on, you know, frankly, references, conversations with Dr. Biden in particular, who is God sent, and the needs of the White House. And, you know, it's a lot because we were in the middle of a pandemic, we were transitioning during a very complicated time, and uh, we were all new. It was complicated, but uh, that's the first major, major job of the chief of staff. Hi, Latina to Latina listeners. It's Brenda from Tamarindo Podcast. And if you love Latina to Latina, then we know that you're going to love Tamarindo Podcast. And if you're in the L.A. area and can't make it to the Latina to Latina live event, we'd like to invite you to our event on March 28th. At 6.30 p.m., we're hosting Amigas Blossoming, a night of celebrating and cultivating blossoming friendships. This will be in Highland Park, and all the details to RSVP for free are at tamarindopodcast.com forward slash events. I wonder now that you are serving as the ambassador to Spain, if there is a lesson from your time as ambassador to Uruguay, that like when you came in, you were like, I'm doing this differently this time, or I'm never going to make that mistake again. Was there a different approach given that now this isn't all new? Well, I'm older now. I have a child. This is a different country, right? The bigger embassy, a lot more things going on in the world. Frankly, in many ways, many much more complicated time to be doing foreign policy work, especially in Europe. I try to sleep earlier. <laughs> That's what I do now that I didn't do last, last time. I think if my age is, you know, taking its toll, my son takes its toll because I got to get up earlier. But that is something I, I specifically 
notice that I'm doing differently. I'm also reading more, reading novels, reading plays. Uh, obviously, we always have to here in this business read the news, but just reading for for academic or just pure joy. And that is something I am putting into my daily program. I try to pace things more now, you know, pace my life, be much more contemplative, try to be, you know what else? And I learned this from Dr. Biden in particular, I keep my mouth shut more now. I am much more aware of my reactions to things, meaning my verbal reactions to things. Because um, I think the older I get, the more I'm like, you know what? I should probably say nothing. (laughs) When you say you learned that from Dr. Biden, you learned that by watching her do the same? Yes, she's very mindful. She's very thoughtful. She's very, she's such a great listener. That is her, uh, one of her magical talents. Julissa, anything I missed? I just hope the Latinas who listen to your program. I just hope they really appreciate uh, how much there is to see and do in the world. And I hope our community can become more involved in foreign policy. It's just so urgent and so important. Increasingly every day, the world is just much more interconnected. Our problems are much more, the difference between domestic and foreign every day is just less real. Um, There's so much to learn from community. Take advantage of our position as Americans to get to know the world and travel and learn and read and represent the country. Because I think as a country, we come richer by it. We can really um, have our story be much more relevant for folks, our community in in the United States, but folks all over the world who can identify with some of our, our paths. Ambassador, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Thank you, Alicia. I hope to see you soon. Thanks for listening. Latina to Latina is executive produced and owned by Juleka Lantigua and me, Alicia Menendez. Paulina Velasco is our producer. Florence Burrow Adams mixed this episode. We love hearing from you. Email us at hola at latinatolatina.com. Slide into our DMs on Instagram or tweet us at Latina to Latina. Check out our merchandise at latinatolatina.com slash shop. And remember to subscribe or follow us on Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Good Pods, or wherever you're listening right now. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you.